Well, today we are continuing on in a series called Grace in the Age of Outrage. We're looking at six different postures a Jesus follower can take uh, as we live in this age of outrage. And and in just a few moments, I'm going to just share some scripture with you uh, for a little while, and then we're going to take communion together, and then we'll come back to to reflect upon uh, this text. And so uh, if you haven't had a chance to get your communion elements, you can grab some on the tables in the back, and then we'll take together, uh, whether you're joining us online or here in person, we'll take together here uh, in just a few minutes. Now, we are uh, in this study, uh, Grace in the Age of Outrage, because I don't know if you've noticed, but things are a little bit insane right now in our community. Have you guys noticed this? Maybe you haven't seen the news. Uh, so uh, let me just tell you that we are reading, we're, we're using as a launch point 1 Peter chapter 2. And, and, and one of the key reasons why we're using 1 Peter chapter 2 for this series uh, is because it, it speaks so clearly to our current moment. In fact, this is how 1 Peter chapter 2 opens. Tell me if this seems uh, at all applicable to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Have you seen anything like that going on in our community? I'm going to read them again. Malice? Have you seen any of that? Oh, come on now, talk to me. You guys seen any malice going on? How about deception? How about uh, hypocrisy? How about envy? Yeah, our entire uh, commercial infrastructure is built on wanting what you don't have yet. Uh, and how about, anyone get the mail lately? In, in the mail, people are sending me poster-sized things. Uh, I got one that was like a hologram. Like you, you move it, you guys seen this one? You like move it and it's like the person's like happy and then like they're very angry and, and, and it, it's all slander. So do you think at all this could be an important season for us to pay attention to First Peter chapter 2? Great. Now, this is the alternative to feeding ourselves malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. The alternative is this. Like newborn infants or babies, desire the pure milk of the word or the word of God, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so that's what we're doing throughout this series. We're looking at these different postures of a Jesus follower. In fact, uh, we've got them here. Uh, We've talked about being a peace bringer, being a kingdom ambassador, name bearer of Jesus. Uh, Last week, uh, Nicholas did such a great job with light shining into the darkness. And today, we're going to talk about being a sheep of the good shepherd, being a sheep of the good shepherd. In fact, I want to encourage you, for those of you that are Jesus followers, and by the way, I know not all of us are Jesus followers. There are many of us on any given week who are here joining us, whether it's here in person or online, who are still trying to figure out who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. And and if you're in that space, man, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, In fact, I know exactly what that's like. Uh, I was in your shoes uh, at this church in those seats uh, just a few short years ago, and uh, I found myself loving Jesus, and and now I get paid to be here. (laughs) It's so good for you to be here because you are going to see what one of the core Uh, uh, truths of following Jesus and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're going to tease that out today. Uh, And for those of us who are Jesus followers, this is a posture or an identity statement or a role that we play. I just want to encourage you to consider that you are a sheep of the good shepherd. You're a sheep of the good shepherd. Now, I want to pause for a moment because 
Uh, one of the things that I've seen kind of out there in our community is the word sheep being used as a term of derision. Uh, people will say things like, oh, you're just a sheep or you're just a sheeple uh, is one that I've seen. In fact, I saw a t-shirt the other day that just said, you know, uh, we the sheeple or something like that. And it's meant as a term of derision. I, I think the insinuation is, is that if you're sheep and I have a different opinion than you, then I am somehow not sheep. Right? I, th I think that's how it's used, at least right now in this culture. And I just want to tell you that that's one of the most arrogant, most unknowing things I've ever heard in my life. The idea that you, because I disagree with you, somehow you're following somebody, but I'm not. I'm my own self, you know, I'm my own independent person, and I make up my own mind. Uh, man, that's the definition of arrogance. And, and I'll ju I just want to tell you that Jesus, straight, the king and creator of the cosmos, straight up calls you, Sheep, like it's not meant as a term of derision. It's meant as a reality of the human condition. We are all sheep. We're all following somebody or some principle or some, some group. The idea that simply because you disagree with me means you're sheeple and I'm an independent thinker. No, that is not how humanity works. That's not how you work. And I would call you to pray and believe in the gospel. Let's keep going. Here, here we go. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. You were called to this because Christ also suffered for you. Okay, so what has Christ done for us? Bingo. Suffered. Okay. <clears throat> now, I want to tell you guys something. There's this thing that people will sometimes do in a church setting, whereas if they agree with the thing, there's a four-letter word that they say, amen. Now, one of the things that we miss in most uh, church traditions is, the, is the, the opposite. When we don't like, maybe we agree with it, but we don't like it, uh, we don't really have a thing to do or say. And so I want to give you permission to do uh, the holy practice of the, the uh. okay? If you, I mean, maybe sometimes the, the Lord's truth has been revealed to you and, and you know it to be true, but you're just like, Ugh. huh, has that ever happened to y'all? Yeah, yeah, right, the amen, brother. Okay, so, so just get that ready. I'm gonna walk you through this, okay? First Peter 2, 21 through 25. For you were called to this because Christ also, what did he do for you? Suffered, leaving you and that you should. Uh, wait, what did he do? And, and for, for, for me? So, so, right, this is the case that Peter's making. Jesus sacrificially and generously gave up his rights, preferences, and security for your benefit, namely through his death and burial, for you as an example that you should follow in his steps. What do sheep do? They follow the shepherd, okay? Let's keep going. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Now here, uh, Peter is riffing on uh, uh, the, 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 the prophet Isaiah, who we have in what we call generally our Older Testament. I mean, this is like thick, thick, thick quotations and riffs on the Isaiah text. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he, now, remember, if you are a sheep of the good shepherd and you're following Jesus, he's giving us an example. So when we follow in his footsteps, we're gonna behave like him. Notice what Peter says. When he was, what's the word? When he, hmm? When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. Facebook? When he suffered, okay, when his life was threatened, when he experienced 
pain. He did not threaten in return. Do you see it? Rather, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Let's keep going. He himself bore our sins on his, uh, in his body on the tree. Here, this is a, an interesting way. Uh, Peter is, again, alluding to the, what we call the Older Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. And he's, he's quoting, or he's, excuse me, he's alluding to uh, this language of, of being a body on a tree. He's talking about the crucifixion of Jesus in more poetic terms. He bore on his body the sins of humanity as he was crucified so that having died to sin, we might live to what? Righteousness. Now that's kind of a weird churchy world. Let's put it another way. That we might live like Jesus or according to the character of God, right? So because of who Jesus is, Jesus who we follow, because of what he's done, bearing our sins as he was crucified, because of that, he's empowering us as his followers to live like him. By his wounds, you have been healed, right? For, now here Peter is going to make his strong case. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and uh, kind of a weird word, overseer or, overseer, or that which, which watches over with care and love, uh, the overseer of your souls, and so here we have Peter, who is a Jesus follower, and he's talking, he's writing to a group of Jesus followers, trying to help them understand how to live grace in the age of outrage. And one of the things that Peter's doing here is he's reminding Jesus followers that they are sheep of the good shepherd. Why would Peter use the imagery of shepherd? It doesn't feel quite natural because Jesus is the risen king. He's the risen Lord. He's like the boss. And yet here, Peter is talking about following in Jesus' footsteps and he refers to Jesus as the shepherd. Now, one of the things that, uh, that we, we may not be so obvious to us is, is this. Peter was raised on the Hebrew scriptures. He knew his Bible. And in the biblical mind, in, in the mind of just the average person who read the scriptures uh, frequently, especially in Peter's day, they knew that a running theme that runs throughout scripture is the theme of shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. King David was a shepherd. Saul was called the shepherd of Israel. By the way, one of the things is you get, there's this portion of the book, of, there's this portion of books of the Bible called the prophets and uh, it's kind of like a, like a Rage Against the Machine album on repeat. Uh, the, the prophets are, are, are just wonderful and you understand their context. But one of the things that the prophets consistently do is they refer to bad leaders or ungodly leaders or unjust leaders or greedy leaders. They refer to them as bad or false shepherds. In the biblical mind, to be a leader of the people, it would be common to be referred to as a shepherd. And if you were doing it in a destructive way, you would be referred to, at least by the prophets, as a bad or evil or false shepherd. So in, the, in Peter's mind, he's got this idea that there have been many false shepherds that have shown up trying to uh, lead God's people. In fact, in... Um, Got two pieces of paper here. Here we go. Jeremiah 56. My people have become lost sheep. This is God speaking. My people have become lost sheep. 
their shepherds have led them astray. Do you think he's talking about actual shepherds? Who's he talking about? The leaders, right? Ezekiel 34, 10, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will demand my sheep from them. He goes on to say, I will deliver my flock. This is God speaking. In Micah chapter five, verses two and on. Oh, a TV time out. You guys ever heard of, uh, what's that holiday in December, near the end of December with the little, with the, the, the lights and the Yuletide and the, what is it called? Christmas. You guys ever heard of Christmas before? Okay, at Christmas, one of the decorations that we sometimes put up are the little sets, the little kits with the little, the little manger, the nativity scene. Okay, so at your nativity scene, inevitably, there is a certain vocation represented. There's the Magi, there's Mary and Joseph, there's the angel, there's the random Legos that your kids put there, even though they, you told them not to. And then there's what vocation? Shepherds. There's a running motif throughout Scripture of shepherds, both good and bad. And where does this take place? Like, uh, where was Jesus born that time? I know this is Bible trivia time, but like, what was it? What's it called? Bethlehem. Yeah, Bethlehem. Okay, so Bethlehem. Okay, so years before Jesus shows up on the scene, Micah, who was a prophet, remember, Rage Against the Machine, Micah, who was a prophet, says this, you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, this is God speaking, one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor, what's also happening in the nativity scene? What's Mary doing? She's in labor, right? When she who has been labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. Now listen, at this point in time, Micah could leverage any a, a vocation that he wants to. He could say king, he could say lord, he could say general, he could say awesome dude. But this is what he says about this leader who's going to come in Bethlehem and after the woman gives birth to her son, this is what he says. He will stand and shepherd his flock. By the time Jesus shows up on the scene, people like Peter were waiting for someone to come and show up and lead them as a good shepherd. In fact, Jesus shows up on the scene and refers directly to his own self as the good shepherd. I'll prove it to you. Well, one of the cool things, actually, I found out, this is one of the oldest depictions that we have, that, that we found anyways. I say we, I wasn't there. Humans found, one of the earliest depictions of Jesus that humans found is in a, is in a, a catacomb or a, a tomb uh, and notice, can you, I don't know if you can make out the, the, the picture here. Do you notice what that is? There's like a lamb up at the top and some, I guess those are sheep down here. What vocation is being described here, uh, being uh, depicted here? Shepherd. One of the earliest depictions of Jesus, at least that we have, is a picture of Jesus as a shepherd. But what's interesting is Jesus was not an actual shepherd, but he, can, he frequently referred to himself as such. I'll prove it to you. Jesus in John chapter 10, verses 10 through 11 says this. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, which sounds like a great title for a Rage Against the Machine album. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Notice what he says. I am the the good shepherd. Now, in that statement, Jesus is pulling together all of these hopes and desires that the people of Israel had for after all of these centuries that one day there would be someone who would lead them to flourishing and to life and life abundant. He says this, the good shepherd, now TV time out. Don't read the rest. What do good shepherds do? I know what you're gonna say, but let me just repeat it to remind the rest of us. 
there's four things that shepherds do. They've got four things that they do as part of their job. Number one is they know their sheep. Number two is they lead their sheep. Number three is that they feed their sheep. And number four is they protect their sheep. What are the four things that a shepherd does? Knows their sheep, leads their sheep, feeds their sheep, protects their sheep. Now, knows their sheep. One of the interesting things about shepherding, and, and, and I've only read about this in books. I don't, I don't do this myself. Uh, but one of the things that we know is when, you, when shepherds would be out, like especially in uh, deserty parts of the world, and they, they've got to go to like that one watering hole within, you know, 100 miles, they'll bring all their flocks down, maybe even at the same time, and sometimes their sheeps would like intermingle, Right? And in order to separate the flocks, and in order for, you know, to go back to the state that they were before, where they're following their shepherd, the shepherd would call out to their sheep, sometimes by name, but they would call out, and because the sheep knew their shepherd's voice, they knew which one to follow. Even amidst the chaos, even amidst all of the other voices screaming and yelling, they knew their shepherd's voice, and they were able to follow him or her. Do you see? A shepherd knows their sheep, and the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Number two, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd leads their flock. A good shepherd leads their flock to where? Places that will lead to their flourishing, not their destruction. Does that seem self-evident? Where does a good shepherd lead? To their flourishing, not to their destruction. And as a part of that, number three, a good shepherd feeds their sheep. Now, let me just ask you a question. Does anyone here work with livestock? Kids, anyone here work with kids? Yeah. Similar. Okay, let's go back to livestock, because otherwise this illustration is going to be horrible. Uh, If you are a good shepherd and it's time to feed the sheep, do you feed them things that will lead to their health or things that are poison? If you're a good shepherd, you want to feed them things that are healthy, not things that are poison, right? Okay. So a good shepherd knows their sheep. A good shepherd leads their sheep to that which will lead to their flourishing, not their destruction. A good shepherd feeds their sheep, not poison, but only that which leads to their flourishing. And finally, a good shepherd protects their sheep. What do you think a good shepherd protects their sheep from? Right? Anything that would lead to their harm, right? Bears, wolves, Garth Brooks, anything that will lead to their destruction, a good shepherd protects them from. Hmm? Now, if Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd, if you are initially hearing this and he starts in on this, a good shepherd does, likely in your mind, you'd say, well, yeah, lead, right? Or excuse me, no, lead, feed, protect. Now notice what he does. And I think he actually is giving that answer here. The good shepherd knows, leads, feeds, and protects his flock by doing what? Laying down his life for his sheep. Now a bad shepherd lays down the life of the sheep for him. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sake of the sheep. Do you see what he's doing here? He's showing you the ultimate way that he knows, leads, feeds, and protects his flock. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a moment to reflect on that reality. 
And so if you're a Jesus follower, I'm gonna lead us through communion. If, if you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is, man, I would just encourage you to, in this moment, just reflect and consider what you hear. And if you'd like to join us in this process, we'd love to have you. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna just ask you four questions specifically around what it means for Jesus to be our good shepherd and how he leads, how he knows, leads, feeds, and protects us. So I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm gonna ask you to take a big deep breath in, let it out. And I'm not gonna do anything weird, but I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and focus. And I'm just gonna ask you a series of questions of reflection and then we'll take communion together. And so as you quiet your mind and your heart and you recognize that you are in the presence of your good shepherd, that he's dwelling in this space even now with us, that he hears you, he, he hears you even the things you can't speak. Do you know that your good shepherd knows you more deeply, more truly, more intimately than you know your own self? Do you know that your good shepherd knows you more deeply, more truly, more intimately than you know even your own self? What might that mean for you now? In this season of outrage, what does it look like for you to follow the lead of your good shepherd today? In this age of outrage, in this season of chaos, what does it look like for you to follow the lead of your good shepherd today. As you think about your good shepherd, that he feeds you only good things, What does your good shepherd call you to feast on now? And finally, what does it mean for you now to trust in your good shepherd for protection? What does it mean right now for you to trust in your good shepherd for your protection?
would ask that you would take of your communion elements, and for those joining us at home, if you would take uh, the bread and the wine or juice, whatever you have available for you. As you take of the bread, would you hold it in your hand? Would you hold also the cup? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying to his disciples, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take and eat? And in the same way, he took of the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me you take and drink. Join me as I pray. Lord, we give you thanks in this moment for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. You, Jesus, are our good shepherd. And as we trust in you, recognizing that you know us deeply and profoundly, that you are leading us if we would but follow, that you're feeding us what leads to our flourishing, and you would protect us, not only unto death, but out of death and, and through the resurrection. We entrust ourselves to you, Jesus. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So what I'd like to do is spend our remaining time together just sharing a few things about kind of where we're at as a church and also uh, where I'm at as one of your pastors and uh, especially in a season of outrage and confusion just to make sure we're crystal clear on some things. So I want to remind us that one of the key postures that we have as Jesus followers is that we are sheep of the good shepherd. So everybody's sheep but we have a good shepherd who knows us, who leads us, who feeds us, and protects us. This is why Peter can say, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. I want you just to see this phrase, the shepherd and overseer. And that's not like, um, you know, uh, manager, you know, overbearing manager. This is someone who is in love and grace overseeing, like looking over you and caring for you like a shepherd over a flock that he loves. And if it's true what Jesus said in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. In a season of outrage, we need to be reminding ourselves to listen for the voice of our shepherd even in the midst of all the other voices. Hmm? So, whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice are you listening to? There are many voices, are there not? Screaming and yelling. In our face and in our ear, all the time, if we let them. And I must say that there are like 
throughout human history, there are many shepherds who are trying to get the sheep to lay their life down for them, leveraging our emotions, our fears, our desires to be fed and protected in order to garner dollars or votes or allegiances. Now, I want to pause. I need you to hear me on this. I firmly believe that every Jesus follower, especially those that live in a democratic republic, should be engaged in politics and government because it is one of the key ways that we love our neighbor as ourself. It's one of the key ways we put into practice the wisdom of God in our corporate life together. And so please don't hear anything I'm saying give the impression that Christians are to be disengaged or apathetic. Here's what I'm asking you. To whose voice are you listening to? To put it another way, which shepherd are you looking to? To be truly known, to be led, to be fed, and to be protected. Whose voice are you listening to? Listen to the good shepherd. Let's put it this way to you. Ain't nobody knows you like Jesus knows you. Ain't nobody gonna lead you like Jesus leads you. Jesus is the only one who will lead you to a space that he paid for with his death, burial, and resurrection. Many people are trying to lead us for us to give up our lives for them. Ain't nobody gonna feed you like Jesus feeds you. He will give you the truth, even when it makes you go, ugh. When Jesus speaks to you the truth, when the Spirit brings conviction, it is only ever for your flourishing. Jesus never cares about winning a debate or how he's doing in the polls. He only wants your good. And finally, and boy, is this important, ain't nobody gonna protect you like Jesus protects you. Even though there are many other voices leveraging our desire to be protected in order to garner our allegiances, Again, we need to be wise, we need to be shrewd, we need to be considerate, but ain't nobody gonna protect you like the king and creator of the universe. Only one person I know went through death and came out the other side in resurrection and didn't die again, and that's Jesus. So sometimes it's good for us just to listen to Jesus. My sheep hear my voice, he says. I know them and they follow me. Whose voice are you listening to? I would encourage you, church family, to consider your diet. Consider what it is that you're feeding yourself. Now, I'm not talking about diet, although I should. Just got my COVID-19 right over here. What are you allowing into your brain, into your spirit, into your emotional state? What are you feeding yourself? I'll tell you this. If it causes unrighteous outrage, it is not of the Lord. If it causes you to disunify from other Jesus followers, it is not of the Lord. If it causes you to rage and desire vengeance, it is not. That is not a meal that the Lord prepares. Consider your diet. What are you feeding yourself, right? I mean, whether it's the social media, whether it's the news we read or listen to, the podcasts, the media outlets that we frequent, I'm not saying that we should turn that all off, but frankly, if those voices are louder than the voice of our good shepherd, it might be time at least to turn the volume down. 
Sometimes, at least in my life, that means turning it off. Jesus frequently did this thing where he would be in crowds and he would be with people and he would be doing amazing work and then he'd just leave. Like he would literally just be like, peace. And he would go away into a quiet, still space so that he could commune with his father. It may be for some of us, it's just time to turn it off. If the only thing that it's producing within us is outrage, it's not a meal that the Lord prepared. Yeah, okay, let's do this. Um, If Jesus is Lord, then Caesar is not. Uh, Man, I wanna caution church family, don't give your heart to Joe Biden or Donald Trump. A, they don't know you, I think. I mean, some of you guys are quite, you get around a lot, but I don't know, I don't think they know you. And they won't lead you like Jesus will. And they won't feed you like Jesus will. And I know that there's a lot of promises, but they ain't gonna protect you like Jesus will. Again, I'm not talking about ignorance or apathy, but where do we look to for our ultimate source of being truly known, being led well, being fed well, and being protected? Let it be Jesus. And and when Jesus is our good shepherd, then we can commune in unity with other sheep of the same flock, even though they might vote different than us. Because we're both looking to the same source to be known and truly known, to be led, to be fed, and to be protected. Uh, There's this thing um, that's weird in, like, most churches, and that's that they call, like, uh, a person in my vocation, what's the word? Um, It's not bishop, although that's, I really like bishop. Uh, Pastor, that's right, pastor, that's right. It's on my business card. Uh, Like, in the Bible, there's only one spot, at least in the translations that I generally frequent, Um, there's only one spot that word actually shows up and it kind of makes you think it's like an office or a position. Uh, But the rest of the time that the the word is actually translated, uh, it's not pastor, it's just shepherd. It's interesting to me, the scripture, especially in Ephesians 4, says that Jesus has empowered and equipped his body, the church, with shepherds. I think think Peter, in fact, I, I would say I'm convinced that Peter viewed his role as a shepherd because he was following the example of his good shepherd. In fact, in 1 Peter, uh, the very book we're reading, in 1 Peter, he, in 1 Peter chapter five, he talks to what we would call pastors, which is just shepherds. He says this, shepherd the flock of God among you. Just pastor, right? Just shepherd them. Exercising oversight, you remember the overseer of your souls, right? Exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. Not for sordid gain, right? Don't make them give up their life for you. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Now, 1 Peter 5, 4. And this this is interesting. This is what Peter says. When the chief shepherd appears, what's he now referring to Jesus as? Not only the good shepherd, but what? Chief shepherd. And I think what Peter's doing here is, is how he understood his own role as a pastor. And that is simply to be, by the power of the Spirit, the best of our ability, not a manager, not a CEO, not a performer, not a general, but a shepherd. And I just wanna, I know this sounds self-serving. I hope, man, I don't know what else to sell you. This kind of sounds self-serving. 
this church family is blessed with some great shepherds. I wanna tell you just about one. Last week, we heard uh, Nicholas uh, preach, and he was ordained. Part of, in our tradition, part of uh, becoming ordained, um, you, you have to sit before an ordination council, which is translated, I know many of us have not been a part of ordination councils. The translation of that is theological colonoscopy. It serves the exact same reason. It's not comfortable, but you're in there, you're digging around, you're looking for things that require some attention. Hmm? And as uh, in an ordination council, you sit before people, generally speaking, at least in our tradition, you sit before people who love you and who have it out for you. (laughs) Or at the very least, they want to probe, right? They want to hear your theology. They want to hear how you make sense of scripture. They want to hear about your relationship with Jesus. But one of the things that is in most ordination councils is you, 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 you ask really, really hard questions about the pastoral uh, role, and you give examples. And so sometimes these are called like ethical dilemmas. And you paint a scenario and you say, if you were to pastor someone through this, what would you do? And what you're looking for is just how they're thinking pastorally as a shepherd. And I want to tell you that, uh, that Nicholas gave one of the most godly answers I've heard to any question in an in a ordination exam or council. He was, I'm not going to repeat the question because outside of context, it may not be helpful, but it's one of those things where it's a circumstance that impacts a family and no option is a good option. You guys ever had that? You ever had a circumstance where you're just like, I'm, I, I, nothing seems to be the right option. That, that's, by the way, that's actually most of life, is it not? Like if someone comes to me and says, pastor, should I murder my neighbor? No. This is clear to me. Right? That's like a clear answer. You know how many times I've gotten that question? Zero times. Most of the pastoral ministry is helping people navigate through a question that's very difficult to understand. And he got posed the question, and it's one of those things where when I heard it, I was like, oh, no, not that one. Like, that's the one. And this is what Nicholas did. He says something to the tune of, it's, it's not clear to me from Scripture And so what I would do is I would just spend a lot, a lot of time with this family relying on the power of the Spirit and praying that the Spirit of the living God would convict them of what they need to do. I thought, that's it. That's the thing. That's what it means to be a shepherd, to say, yeah, I mean, sometimes we can go to the Word of God and it's very clear, right? Should I murder my neighbor? No. Do we need to pray about it? No. Most of the time, it's saying, I don't, I don't know, but let's go talk to the good shepherd together. So how does that relate to Desert Springs? Um, man, it's been a bit of a year. <laughs> no? Uh, and whether it's our ministerial team, our elders, our board of directors, the, the shepherds here in this congregation, we, we have been uh, agonizing in prayer seeking the spirit for decisions related to like your safety and well-being, uh, related to, you know, uh, coronavirus and things like that. That's, that's hard enough. And then we're, we're, we're shepherding, st- striving to keep our eyes focused on the chief shepherd uh, through a season, unlike I've ever seen, of uh, uh, racism, race uh, riots and protests and racial reconciliation. And, and that's hard enough on its own. And then you add in the most contentious political cycle I've ever seen, and many of you who've seen more than me are s- telling me the same thing. Fear-mongering is at an all-time high. And, and here's something that's happening to us 
as a church family. You guys ever have that thing? I'm hearing people say, well, all this stuff is divisive or it's creating division or talking about it is creating division. And I just wanna, I wanna push on that just a little bit. You guys ever had old carpet in your house that you removed? Anybody have that? So, you, you know, you have the house for a little while or maybe you move into an older home and you're looking at the carpet and you're like, this should be in a lab and... And, and, you know, the, the, the thing you rent for $50 at Home Depot is just not cutting it. And so you take the carpet up and you take that weird foam thing that always leaves the lines on the glue lines. Do you guys know what I'm so frustrating? You're down there with a the chisel and such. Okay, so once you've got the floor cleared out, you're looking at the foundation. Inevitably, what do you see has happened to the foundation? It's cracked. You see divisions in the cement, don't you? Now, did removing the carpet create the division? No, removing the carpet simply exposed what was already real. And now that it's exposed, you have the capacity to step into that and do the needed repairs. The needed healing cannot, co- cannot come until the division is revealed. Now, as one of your uh, shepherds, I don't know what Tuesday holds. I know who holds Tuesday. And I don't know what this next week holds, and frankly, I don't even know what the rest of my day holds, although I hope football's involved. Go Cowboys. Let's take a moment to pray for the Lord's anointed, the Cowboys. Yeah, um, it was funny that we laughed. Uh, <laughs> we don't know what tomorrow holds. And on behalf of the shepherds here at Desert Springs, here's what we're committing to. We're just gonna keep pointing you to Jesus to the best of our ability. And, and here's the deal. We, this is how we're making decisions. I, w- I want you to know that all the decisions that we've made that you didn't like, and by the way, I make a 100% guarantee that's gonna keep happening because we're not a cult. So I don't know what to tell you. All those decisions that you didn't like and that I didn't like, here's how they were made. There was a lot of crying. There was a lot of prayer and we made and we continue to commit to making the wisest, most loving decision that we can make based on the information that we have. And we're gonna rely on the spirit and we're gonna trust ourselves to him. We're gonna fight for the unity of Jesus' church because that was his direct command in prayer. But that doesn't mean, although we fight for unity, that doesn't mean we're not gonna point out all the cracks in the cement. The reason that we would point out the cracks in the cement is to expose and to bring healing so that we can truly be unified, not just have an absence of conflict. You guys know those are two different things, right? We're not committing to an absence of hard conversations. A lot of people say, well, you can't talk about those things because you can't talk about those things in polite company. We ain't polite company. Read your Bible and tell me if you get the idea that the people of God should be polite company or if they should be a group of diverse people with almost nothing in common except for Jesus bound together by his love and grace called to do things like love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, be long-suffering with one another. Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens. We can't do those things without exposing the cracks in the cement. And so that's where we're going. And we're gonna do it pastorally. We're gonna do it with great care. We do it out of a heart for you and a love for you that you might continue to become more like your good shepherd. That's our heart. That's where we're going. We love you so much. But more important, Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. And so we're just gonna keep pointing to him 
and telling everybody else in our community to do the same because it's the only way to life and life abundant. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this is a difficult season. We, but it's not the most. It just feels like it for us. And so Jesus, we turn ourselves, entrust ourselves to you, knowing that you're powerful to bring these things about and that you love us. That you see and oversee your flock. That you know us more deeply than we know ourselves. That you lead us into spaces that though may be painful and discomfort, will only lead to our flourishing, that you feed us only that which is good for our souls and that you protect us. And even though death may take us, you will raise us from the grave. For you, Jesus, have conquered over Satan, sin, and death, and you are the good shepherd. Jesus, it's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. That will be true no matter what comes this week. Let us live in light of that truth. See you guys next time.